how exactly does marriage work according to the Torah? And what does that illustrate to us about our relationship with Hashem, which is compared to marriage? So we learn that in our parasha. From the Psukim Parasha saying in the, in the verses in our parasha tell us Ki yikach ish isha, when a man will take a woman over Allah and he will sleep with her gomer, gomer, and then subsequently she'll leave him and they'll divorce, and she'll marry somebody else. From that Lentman of the Gemara Kiddushan tells us this is where we derive as Isha Niknes that there are three ways that a man can acquire a woman as his wife, Bekesa through money, Bishtad through a marriage document, or Babia and through living together. Kesef, that's one we're going to focus on, that you give something of monetary value. We learn it from this pasuk, when a man will take a wife and the implication of the word yikach is to make a transaction. The fact that the Torah here says that they will sleep together indicates that that's one of the ways to acquire a wife. And the last is, it talks about the possibility of her divorcing and then marrying somebody else. It says, The Torah wants to make a comparison between how you marry one person from how you divorce the other person. Just as divorce is through a document, so it is possible to marry through a document. In spite of the fact that all three are valid ways in which a woman can be married, from Desvegan, nevertheless, is not the way that we do it nowadays is we either use money or something of value, which is actually the most likely scenario. We give a ring, and that's how we <coughs> that's how we do kiddushin today. And that's why, out of the three, the first one mentioned in the Pasuk, which is Avgelen from Pasuk Yikach, that we learn from the words Kiyikach, that you transact or that you do a marriage through money, that also aligns itself with the fact that that's the way we actually do it these days. As we well know, every single thing in the Torah is absolutely precise. So therefore, you can, uh, you can ascertain that in the process of marriage, through giving something of monetary value, that's where you'll see, that's where you'll see the primary theme of marriage, much more profoundly than you would see it illustrated by either, either giving a marriage document or by the couple living together, and we'll explain that. In order to explain it, let's first see that the Gemara offers another potential source for the principle of Kiddushin through money. In Gemara, is the Gemara right at the beginning of Kiddushin quotes another possibility of how we know that a man can acquire a woman as his wife through giving her something of financial value. From a Pasuk Mishpatim, which speaks about what's called an Amor Ivrio, which is a unique case of a young girl who is sold off to her family because her family is destitute and she becomes the so-called Jewish maidservant and at some point could marry into the family. If not, then she goes out and there's no payment when she is released from this particular position. Says the Gemara, There's no money paid to her so-called owner. And I say so-called because not really an owner, but that's subject for another conversation. You don't pay him out to release this girl to freedom. But the Gemara understands from that. It is possible that somebody else would get money at a time where she transitions from one status to another. And that would be her father who can accept the money on her behalf when she's a minor in order for her to marry. 
So now that we have two possible sources that teach us that you could marry a woman by giving her something of monetary value, the fact that there are two sources indicates that there are two sides to this particular story. Depending on whether we derive it from our parasha and the principle of taking a woman as a wife, or whether you learn it from the other pasuk, which is derived from an Amma Ivriya. In other words, it's giving us two angles about how marriage through money works, and we have to explore those two angles. And in order to do that, we're going to do an analysis based on the teaching of the Rogachava of how exactly the mechanics of Kiddushin work. By way of introduction, when it comes to the question of how Kiddushin using money works, so the Rogachava going gives this incredible insight, which is there's two ways to look at it. Is the cause of the process the fact that there is an acquisition that takes place? The woman now takes ownership of money and that causes her to be married? Or is it the other way around? Or is there an action called marriage? Which gives her the rights now to own the item, the ring, or the money that was given to her. In other words, in other words, is it that the Kiddushin, the marriage, kicks in because of, as a result of, her having made this transaction of receiving this money? Or the Fakirat, or the other way around? Or is it because she's married that she now gets this money or this ring to be hers? What's fascinating is that Rogachova brings halachic arguments to support both sides of the, both possibilities. Because the din is, one halacha that we have is, if there was a woman who was standing in a public place, so she doesn't own the land she's standing on, and her husband throws her get, her divorce document at her, the if it lands closer to her than it is to him, there's a whole analysis of what exactly constitutes closer. But the fact is, if it's closer to her, she is divorced. And then the halacha is, the same would apply if he threw, let's say, a document or, as we're going to see in a moment, something of financial value and says, yeah, you're married and it lands close to her. She would be married. On the Shita Sari Shonim says the Rogachava, in the opinion of the classical commentators, the same would apply not only with a document where he threw a marriage document at her because that would be most similar to throwing a divorce document. But even if he threw money or a ring at her and it landed close to her feet, she would be married. Now, let's think about it. Halachically, if the ring lands near her feet, and, and, and I'm using the word near here quite broadly, so not so close by, but closer to her than it is to him, how has she acquired it? Because we don't know that the ring has landed within the area of four Amois. So halachically, if you're in a public space and something comes within or you land up within four Amois of an item where theoretically more than one person could lay claim to it, you get first rights because it's in your space. But we don't know that the ring landed up in her space. So by what rights is the ring hers? In other words, by what rights is she married? Says the Rogachava is the funaraya. Well, that would prove to us as So that would indicate to us that actually the first step of the process is she's married. Why is she married? Because he gave her a ring. I mean, in a strange way, threw it at her, and because she's married, 
that creates an acquisition of a ring, of an item that under normal circumstances she should not be able to acquire because under normal circumstances it wouldn't be in her space. In other words, the only way that she acquires this ring or whatever other monetary item it is, is by virtue of her being married. So that's the argument that Rogachava quotes to show us that perhaps it's the marriage that causes the acquisition. But then he offers the exact opposite argument that perhaps it works the other way around, that it's once she acquires the item, in this case the ring, that's what causes the marriage. What's his source for that? So now you've got to pay attention to this one because it's a nuance within a halacha. The Gemara says that unlike pretty much any other scenario, this Gemara in Nidorim, is toich kedei dibur lav kedibur domi. If a person retracts after they've just said, here, by you are married to me, and say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean that, even if it's immediate, which in all other scenarios would be enough to cancel what the person had said, in the case of marriage, there's no such thing. You can't take those words back. You can't now say, oops, I regret having proposed this marriage. Even if it is, immediately. Now here comes the nuance. The Rashbam explains that the scenario we're describing over here is where a person in front of two witnesses gave this woman a ring or whatever other item and said, you are betrothed to me. And then immediately said, no, sorry. Actually, I intended this ring as a gift to you. Nothing to do with marriage. We don't listen to him. And it has a very unique halachic uh, paradox that it creates. Um, that in a certain sense, she's married. In other words, she can't run off with another man. And um, they don't have a proper marriage and they have to still ratify their marriage. So here's the nuance. It's not It doesn't seem to make sense. Why does the Rashbam say that the only scenario over here which creates this conundrum is because he said, I'm changing the status of what I've given you. Instead of giving it to you as a marriage gift, I'm giving it to you as a generic gift. Why didn't the Rashbam just say simply, says, I didn't want you to have the money at all. I didn't want you to have the ring at all. Change my mind. And he says, give it back. So the Rogachov explains, the fact that the Rashbam had to give that particular scenario shows us something. As in, that theoretically, if the person decided, I want the ring or the money back, would say, okay, within an allocated period of time, you can do that. You can change your mind. Because the general principle is, except if it's regards to marriage, is, the halacha is that any subsequent statement that you make immediately after a, an original statement is binding. So, so therefore it is absolutely possible in normal circumstances if, you per, if a person gives money to say, I want the money back, that's fine. As long as you make your disclaimer within the allocated time straight away. And if that happens, she wouldn't be married. So the guy says to the woman, here's the ring. Oh, sorry, no, give me the ring back. They would not be married. Because you can always undo a transaction within the 10-second rule or whatever the period of time is that a to greet your ever. Therefore, the Rashi has to say, 
specifically in a scenario where the person is not saying, I want the ring or the money back. Now, Bloys von der Kiddushin, he just wants to clarify, it was not to marry you. On in Debailus und der Kessmacht der Nikin Shino, he says, not changing who now deserves to own that ring or that money. As the Shelo Ishal Smatona, it's definitely hers as a gift from him to her. As the Dinazen Shemenloi, that's where the Gemara says, sorry, we don't listen to you. Because Kiddushin, marriage is something you can't undo in the next sentence that you say. So the Rogachava brings that as a proof that actually it's quite possible that the cause is the transaction which makes her married. Because if it were the argument that the marriage creates the acquisition, and that's actually comes to own the ring, then the Rashman would not have had to give his whole rigmarole explanation. We could have just said really simply, you said you're getting married, you can't change your mind. Sorry. Right? That if the guy says, I want my money back, would say, we're not giving it to you because marriage is binding and there's no return. Because if it would be that the reason the money becomes hers is a result of the fact that she's married, and you may never retract a marriage proposal in the immediate context, then the person would not be able to re- retract the, the offer of the money or the ring or whatever it is, because that would be the result of Okay, so what do we see? That the that Rogachava offers us both part, both possibilities and each one with a viable proof within Halacha that either it's because she's married that she gets the ring or it's because she gets the ring that she becomes married. Let's stick with the second opinion, which is that the cause is she gets the ring and therefore she's married. married and therefore the marriage only begins after and as a result of receiving the ring or the object. Now, theoretically, if the nothing happens until the acquisition is consolidated and he decides not to follow through on the acquisition, he changes his mind, we'd say cancel the transaction and naturally cancel the marriage. That's why the Rashbam has to explain That's why the Rashbam would have to say, well, the scenario over here is that he doesn't actually regret having given her the gift at all. Matoni's just changed the status from it being a marriage-based ring to a gift ring. And he's not, re- re- he's not retracting her rights to the ring He's just retracting his Kiddushin, and the gift remains a gift. Okay, so what do we see? Two possibilities of which is the cause. Marriage causes the acquisition of the ring, or the acquisition of the ring causes the marriage. Now that tracks back to the possibility of, do we learn it out of this week's parasha that, uh, that marriage happens through money, or do we learn it from Parashas Mishpatim and the Amo Ivriya that marriage works through money? Shlemaz Dos is the Chiluk Tzvishin Mordim. That is, in fact, the distinction between the two possible sources from Vanam Elentaro's Kesef Kiddushin, how we learn the principle that marriage happens by a man giving a woman something of value.
Do we learn it from our parasha that says when a man will take a wife? Or from parashas Mishpotim, where we learn about the fact that an Amor Ivriya, this little girl who is released from being a maid servant in somebody's house, the owner doesn't get the money, but potentially her father could get the money on her behalf to get married. What's the difference? In Posuch Ki Kach Ish Isha, our parasha where it says where a man will take a woman, there's an emphasis, is that Gosha if Ish. The emphasis is Ki Yikach, what he is doing. He is the proactive one. He is the protagonist. He is reaching to her and marrying her. Whereas in Parashas Mishpatim, where the Gemara analyzes that who is receiving the money, is it her so-called boss or is it the, uh, her father? There, the emphasis is on who is the recipient of the money. So our parasha is who is the protagonist giving the money. Parasha Smishpatim is who is the person receiving the money. Now, depending on where we put our emphasis, will make a big difference to how we understand the process. On their river, therefore. If we are going to say that our parasha, which says that a man taking a woman is the primary source for the principle of marriage through money, then it's mistaber to zognen. Logic will tell us as the kiddushin tutzichov turch de pulas nesinas hakesef from dembal. Well, then, when will the marriage happen? If it's all about the protagonist, the giver of the money, the husband, then when does the marriage happen? When he gives ki kach ish. When the man takes the woman. So he is, what's he doing? He's taking her as his. He's marrying her. And as a result of that, she gets the ring. So our Pasuk in our parasha would indicate marriage causes the ownership of that ring. Whereas if you take the other interpretation of the Gemara on the story of the Amor Ivriya, where it's all about who gets the money, then logically, as in then it really doesn't rest on what he gives her that will make her marry or married. Well, it's all about who's received the money. So whoever receives the money or when they receive the money, that would cause the marriage to happen. The issue is Kesef, once she's got the ring on her finger or the money in her pocket, that causes the marriage to happen. Now that's in the halachic sphere. Let's have a look at it in the spiritual sphere. Whatever is discussed in the revealed parts of Torah is a reflection of how things are in the esoteric parts of Torah. Same applies to us. People who are familiar with Hasidus will know that the Pirisha Pnimi for Naisha Niknis the Baila, when we talk about the idea of a woman being acquired as a wife to her husband, as Dos main dominion Akidushan Bayuchud for Nakadish Borhu Uchnesis Israel, very famously is metaphoric of the Abisha taking us as his bride. And there are three ways that that connection can happen, which are metaphorically represented by money, a document, and the union of the couple. And just as we've just examined, that in the context of how marriage happens in the physical world, there are two perspectives. On the one hand, the concept of the woman being taken as the man's husband. 
and the other side of it that she is now forbidden from marrying anybody else. There are two similar factors about our relationship with Hashem and our so-called marriage with Hashem. On the one hand, there's this amazing connection and linking between us and Hashem. And on the other hand, and at the same time, we separate ourselves, just like the woman is now separated from other men. We are separated from anything that would interfere with our relationship with Hashem, which is basically the things of this world, which is a part of our relationship with Hashem, is the distance that we keep from the temptations and pleasures of this world. Just as in a regular marriage, both of those things pretty much happen at the same time. They're completely interrelated. You can't really separate the two and say, well, one part of marriage is just about the relationship with the husband and then there's something else. No, as soon as there's a relationship with the husband, naturally, there's forbidden relationships with everybody else. So The same kind of thing applies to our so-called marriage to Hashem. You have to have both things. They go hand in hand. And the Chovah Salavavos puts it into very clear words. In the introduction to the section about Avas Hashem. It's impossible for us that we should have real love of Hashem in our hearts at the same time that we love the world. So in order to connect to Hashem, have that unity, that union with Hashem, naturally what follows is stepping back from the havle oilamazeh, from the nonsense of this world. Now, we started off the Sikha saying that there are three ways in which a marriage could be um, solemnized according to Judaism, but we favor the one of giving something of monetary value. Now we can understand that from a spiritual perspective too. Because the deeper perspective or intention of Kiddushin of marriage, the which is all about this union created between us and Hashem, is fundamentally is built on the concept of Kesef, which in our world means money, but in the spiritual world is it represents a yearning for Hashem. That we don't just do what Hashem wants, but we do so with love of Hashem. The ultimate goal of all of Yiddishkeit is that we should have this connection to Hashem that is filled with love, as the Zoyar says, that there's no service like the service that is based on love. So, Kesef represents our love, a very powerful, yearning love towards Hashem. That is the key ingredient to creating this union, the Kiddushin, between us and Hashem. That will help us to understand the deeper meaning behind the two possibilities that Agachava offered us about which is the cause and which is the effect. Does the marriage cause the transaction or the transaction cause the marriage? Is the primary cause the acceptance of the financial element? Or is the Kiddushin the primary cause and therefore she owns this item? Which of course, it's two different views within Torah, so therefore they're both absolute 
word of Hashem, absolute truth. And they both play out simultaneously in the spiritual realm. In the halakhic realm, it's either one or the other. But in the spiritual realm, it is quite possible for both of them to happen simultaneously. And that's exactly what we're describing and experiencing over here. So, this idea of acquiring our relationship with Hashem and our union with Hashem through Kesef, which represents deep love and passionate love for Hashem, as we said, that is really what represents the connection between us and Hashem. On Kiddushin, and also the concept of Kiddushin, which means separation of the precious from the fact that we step back from the world because now we're engaged with Hashem and that's our priority and that's what we care about. And so we disinvest from the invo- involvement in the materialism of this world. The two ways that could happen. And what distinguishes the two ways is which causes the other. Which causes the other will, de- will depend on where we're coming from in our approach to serve Hashem. Are we working our way from the bottom up? Or are we using some kind of a supernal tool set to be able to influence ourselves from the top down. Let's understand what those are. If a person is working their way up, so to speak, from the bottom, is the Kiddushin Freer, the first step of working our way up from the bottom is to get away from the negative, the Kiddushin, the separation. The first step is to be distinct and separate from all the hedonism of this world. And then through the Kiddushin, the action of separating from the world that will stimulate the Kesef, the love to Hashem. I'm not investing there, I am looking here. As expressed in the Pasuk, First veer away from that which is bad, and then engage in that in doing that which is good. But in their but if a person does work through their avoidas Hashem, starting from a high level stimulation downwards, it's going to happen the exact opposite way. The person will first start off with a tremendous excitement and arousal to want to connect to Hashem. That's where they're going to start. They're going to be overwhelmed with excitement to connect to Hashem. Kinyan Kesef. That's represented by the, the so called coin, the so called the yearning. And then, because the person will be so enthusiastic about godliness, that's why naturally they'll actually pull back from involvement in this world. It's two possibilities. Do we first start by managing our lives and that will stimulate love of Hashem? Or do we start by being overwhelmed with love of Hashem and therefore we manage our lives? Why would we have two different approaches? Because there are two different ways that we could serve Hashem. If I'm working from the bottom up, then that's the that is a very measured, predictable, rational process of growth. Which would be growth based on things that make sense, things that I can understand, I can relate to rationally. If things are working in a rational way, well then rationally, logically, first I have to be able to pull back from this world before I can really experience the draw towards Hashem. 
The second type of avoid is the avoid of us is nitapi sedevadraga. That's an unpredictable, uh, non by uh, non uh, incremental kind of growth. The avoid That's where a person serves Hashem in a way that is completely super rational. As that means where a person doesn't get caught up in who am I and am I capable and could I do this and what are my limitations. The person completely dedicates themselves to connect to Hashem, which is the pr- primarily expressed through Kabbalah soil accepting Hashem's authority. When a person has that absolute dedication, without negotiation, without doubt, without second-guessing themselves, they become so absorbed in love of Hashem, naturally they become immune to the distractions of this world. And that is alluded to in the two possible ways that we could derive the source for the fact that you can marry somebody by giving them an item of, of value. If we learn our parasha, when a man takes a woman, which is all about separating her from everybody else, that's the one possibility. So that's talking about marriage in the classical sense, whereas the other source that we learn in Parashas Mishpatim is about an Amo Ivriya, which is a very unique status of person that represents a very unique spiritual uh, commitment to Hashem. Totally different perspectives. In Parashas Kiddushin, our parasha, which is speaking about marriage as represented by the word Kiddushin, which means separation, because this woman is now separate and distinct from any other woman out there. She can't marry anybody except this person. That represents how a person approaches holiness step by step, incrementally. You do what you have to do and as it makes sense and you grow into the role. You grow into a relationship with Hashem. So is the that process is, as we've mentioned, first you have to do the Kiddushin, you have to draw yourself out of the, the, the engagement of this world, following which you can give money, which is this incredible love and connection to Hashem. But when I examine how the whole process of marriage happens in the unique context of this girl who is a so-called slave, that's avoid us ever. I'm there in the world of serving with absolute dedication and service. That's the world of absolute acceptance. That's the world where I ignore what makes sense and I do what I have to do because it's the correct thing to do. In the Dikidushin came into Zukum and to Dinasinum Asiritzalikos Nach Eidermen Halt by Precious for Ninyone Hoilam. When I'm living in that world of complete dedication, I'm a servant. Tell me what I need to do. I'm ready. I'm not going to ask questions. I'm not going to second guess myself. Well, that is a person then who is capable of reaching an, an, an experience of connection to Hashem and love of Hashem even before they've completely sorted out all of their issues with this world. To the point that a person could reach so much dedication to Hashem, which is so transcendent and so beyond the logical, that it's almost an automatic result that the person is not distracted by the things of this world. For those people who are familiar with the Tzemach Tzedek's Derech Mitzvah, the explanation of Amo Ivriya, we could take this all deeper. 
As the Inyan Anala Tashaycha Samevriya Dafka, this principle of absolute dedication to Hashem and becoming completely enveloped in Hashem's love and then naturally not running after the things of this world is something that relates specifically to the nature of the Amoivriya. We've described two different ways that we could serve Hashem, step-by-step building ourselves up or dump, jumping into the deep end with this amazing arousal and awakening. It has a lot to do with who the person is and what state they're in when they start to serve Hashem. What happens if you're dealing with a person who really has to be schooled in the concept of not running after the pleasures of this world, which is probably many of us? Well, then the correct way to run things and the normal way to run things is that you can't yet reach these lofty elements of connection to Hashem to have this absolute union with Hashem that is driven by tremendous love of Hashem until you get first, you get rid of the negative that's inside, the distractions and temptations of this world. Because it's real, right? It's a real challenge. It's a real issue for the person. So you've got to get rid of it. And if you want to, otherwise you're stuck to the ground. How can you fly up into the heavens? That's why this person would require these steps. First, I need to disengage the world. And then I can graduate to this embrace with Hashem that has so much love behind it. But if we're dealing with a person who's already past that stage, not so invested in the physical. Now, every person still has to work on pulling themselves away from something in their life that still limits them. So this person is not engaged in the hedonism of this world. So that's not their barrier to growth. So what is their barrier that they have to pull away from? To move themselves from just following what is natural for them because it's quite possible for a person to serve Hashem just within the framework of their nature. So the person has to reach a point where they're serving Hashem, not confined to their natural reality. To achieve that, that's going to need a tremendous amount of head work, of mind work. It's going to take the deepest degree of meditation and contemplation on godliness. And that's what shifts a person. When a person really contemplates Hashem's greatness in a deep and profound way, it shifts them in that they, they're no longer the same person. They no longer have the same natural responses. Not only will they redirect and instead of being excited about food and about pleasure, they'll be excited about godliness, but the nature of what excitement looks like will be fundamentally different. What love looks like will be fundamentally different. What passion looks like will be fundamentally different. That's why this particular methodology of this amazing connection to Hashem, we derive specifically from the scenario of the so-called maidservant, 
weil die Darge von Amo Ivriya ist Shinei Amidus Mimehus Lemehus, because as the Tzemach Tzedek explains, the Amo Ivriya, her circumstances, are metaphoric for the person who completely shifts their entire set of traits, of personality, of Midos, of emotion, from one reality to another. Azevi Avoidas Amo Kipshuta, which is represented by her job in the house. She's not a servant working out in the field, she works in the house. And so therefore, she takes produce which is raw, and she transforms it into something which is not only edible, but is a delicacy. That represents the transformation of something from its raw reality, like the, the drives that people have for physical things, into a totally different and enriching reality, which would be the drive towards godliness. And seeing as every one of us within our neshama has all of the different levels that are described here, that means each of us is 100% empowered to totally dedicate ourselves to Hashem with absolute love and complete union. And therefore every one of us is actually capable of reaching a point that we are totally detached from the offerings of this world. And therefore everyone is capable of even reaching the point that we can completely transform and completely make over the entire structure of our being and our character. And when we achieve that, then we are acquired by our husband, metaphorically, which is Hashem, the ultimate union between us and the Eibishter, which is represented by the principle of marriage, not just of betrothal, which is the consummation of the marriage. That's something that should happen very soon, after us having worked through the so-called betrothal period, which is Golos, we should reach the full chuppah, the full nisuin, with the coming of Moshiach. It should happen. Take care of Umiyad Mamash.